Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself are going to do a whirlwind tour of the SEC, talk about what's been going on in the offseason, some of the coaching changes, some of the big-time recruiting classes coming in, six classes in the top 25 of the 24-7 composite. Uh, We'll talk about NBA early departures, who's gone, who might be gone, who's coming back, Um, And then we'll give you your obligatory Kerry Blackshear Jr. update. Uh, So enjoy the show and make sure you drop a rating for us if you can on uh, iTunes or be sure to send us uh, any Twitter comments at Florida BB Hour on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. As always, Eric Fawcett, or as usual, <laughs> Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, uh, is going to join me. And we're going to kind of go around the horn in the SEC a little bit today, um, kind of focus on some of the stuff that's happened in the offseason. I want to get Eric's take on some of the proposed rule changes that he did, the kind of curveball I didn't tell him I was going to ask him about. And then um, – uh, we'll do some other stuff, but we'll just dive right into it with uh, bracketology. We saw Joe Lenardi, Eric, put out, um, you know, his life, what he says will be his last offseason bracketology uh, yesterday. And then I guess uh, Joe gets to take a well-earned vacation. Um, six SEC schools in the field in order of seed. He's got Kentucky as a one seed. Auburn is a three seed. We should note that the Auburn, the bracketology came out right before Jared Harper announced. Um, so it's post the Chuma Okeke announcement, pre the Jared Harper announcement. I don't know if he put them as a three. Um, and maybe he is going to do one more after all the draft decisions. Uh, six, Tennessee. Seven, Florida. Nine, Miss State. And nine, Ole Miss. So six SEC teams in the field. What are your kind of gut reaction to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's great. Um, I, I mean, it, there's just like the weird mix, and I understand. I mean, it's it's bracketology in, in May, so that kind of is what it is. But uh, I mean, I, I think that Ole Miss kind of sneaking in there is a little bit of uh, just kind of a nod to like, oh, you kind of overachieved last year, did better than we expected. So like, let's say you find a way in. But I mean, losing Terrence Davis is is, is pretty huge for them, I would say. And um, though they're you know they should be picking up, I just I, I wouldn't be quite ready to say that. And even uh, yeah, and Auburn, I feel like it's kind of a nod to like, hey, you were way better than we all expected, um, so we'll keep you up at the top, even though you're going to lose, you know, some talent. Obviously, like you said, they weren't totally sure with Harper, but uh, and then I mean, this is a little bit of a of, of a lose lose talking about this being a, a Gators podcast and probably just sounding like Homer, but I mean, I guess we're all Gator fans here. Uh, I do think the seven is a little bit low, and I'll just say um, I, I think most people, even though. Um, yes, like Florida's resume totally suggested that they were where they should, you know, what, what they should have been last year. But I would say that people like kind of talent wise and where Florida kind of should have been, I, I think they probably should have been a seven or eight last year. Um, just kind of looking at it's just a couple of those kind of tough losses at the buzzer they got. Um, they're probably a seven or eight ish. And, and I mean, I, I do think they're a better team kind of moving forward, even not knowing what they'll do with the last scholarship. So for that reason, I, I do think Florida 
is in a little bit better of a situation than a seven seed. But I mean, I, I know that might sound like a homer coming from, from, from me, of course. Well, Myron Metcalf, ESPN.com, Blake Lavelle, Southeast Hoops, um, neither of whom, you know, are Florida people. Um, both thought that that was the most glaring one of the SEC grouping, that Florida seemed a little underseeded even in a world where they've got an open scholarship. Um, you kind of look at this Florida team, and I think people operate under the assumption that Andrew Nimhart will be back when they say that they're underseeded. But, yeah, I mean, so that was – I agree with, with what you said, Eric. I'd also say, like, it's so hard to talk about Kentucky. We talked about this last year. Like, it's just so hard to talk about Kentucky at the beginning of every season because it's always just some sort of paper projection, right? And to me, a one seed is a bit of a stretch. I get that it's the number one recruiting class, but I just feel like there's some pretty significant losses there too, and we're going to get into that on this show. But I wanted to lead with with Joe Lenardi because I feel like it's the best way to kind of frame – where people think the league is at coming off a year that was probably the best year for the league basketball wise in a long time. I mean, I mean, I think Lunardi has a lot of power to be honest, because uh, there's a lot of people that I think look at his power or look, not power rankings, look at his bracketology right now. And that's going to frame the kind of way they look at things going through the off season and therefore the season. So um, I, I know this might sound like I'm just taking it too seriously, but I do think it matters because this is a source of a lot of people's um, kind of perspective. So uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned Kentucky. Kentucky is really tough because this is literally what happens every year with Kentucky. They get, every they get year. kind of they get ranked high in the preseason poll. Um, well, like usually like, you know, seven or higher, usually higher. Um, then they lose a few games early in the non-conference and people say, oh, are they actually that good? They're overrated. Um, and then they kind of figure it out in conference play and then usually end up as a high seed. So, I mean, this literally happens every single every <laughs> single season. So, um, for the, and I mean, I say that as someone who probably has – um, I, I'll say I have more respect for Kentucky than I feel like a lot of uh, kind of Florida fans do. So um, I'll say that the the one I kind of understand, and I mean, it's also like, again, if you're doing bracketology in May, um, throwing Kentucky as a one seed is probably a little bit safer than throwing something else out there that might be a little uh, a little more interesting. So I, I can see why it happens. And would I be shocked if Kentucky is a one seed next year? Um, I wouldn't if Kentucky's a six seed next year or something and they're their pieces don't just don't quite come together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised by that either, but I, I would lean to, towards them being, you know, a, a one or a two, uh, probably over a five or a six. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't know about a one, but I, I mean, I certainly think Kentucky will be where they usually are, which is in that two, three, four range um, for all the reasons that, that Eric, you know, alluded to. And, and if you do listen to the show, you know that, not only is Eric not really the, the typical anti-Kentucky Florida follower, um, you know, you also know that, that at least I think pretty highly of John Calipari as a basketball coach, which I know is contrary to, like, kind of a prevailing narrative. <laughs> um, I, I certainly think high of him as a defensive coach, if, and I, I know Eric knows that. Um, Eric and I both think that defense should be kind of the foundation of a basketball culture. And I know, you know, Calipari was kind of an early coach that, that really preached that. So um, they'll be good. They'll be good. I just don't know, like one seed when I look at what they've lost, uh, if that's kind of where they're at, let's, let's transition to transitions. There's, you know, and this speaks to the, the ever changing basketball landscape of the sec. Four coaching changes. 
a couple of them, Eric, maybe at places where – or sorry, three coaching changes, right? Yeah, three, <laughs> three coaching changes, a couple of those coaching changes. I'd, I'd argue, argue that two of those coaching changes are somewhat surprising. Uh, I thought you might have been proclaiming a uh, an LSU uh, coaching change before it uh, before it officially happened with the four, but uh, but yeah, I mean that that's there were some surprising ones. I mean, I, I personally was surprised by Vanderbilt deciding to go a different direction, um, just kind of considering what the job is there. Uh, but I mean, one thing that just strikes me again is is I mean, last season um, we saw it with uh, with Tom Crean and, and Kermit Davis. I mean, those are two of the most sought after coaches um, kind of on the market. And they go to two of the teams that were kind of looking at the bottom of the of the SEC. And now you see, um, you know, Buzz Williams. That's a that's a name that a lot of people have talked about. And I mean, that's someone going from a from and a it program. Was four coaching changes. I'm sorry, by the way. Four coaching changes. Oh, I am. I, was, I am blanking that. I was right the first time, and I psyched myself out. And Eric. Oh yes, <laughs> I I fell for that too. But um, uh, yeah, just again, this is another one where it's just like, uh, you see Buzz Williams is one of the most sought after kind of guys in the market. He goes from a team that was up at the top of the ACC, uh, to a team that's at the bottom of the SEC right now. And, uh, you obviously see, um, with, uh, with Oates, he was another guy that was super, super sought after. Um, and then, and then he's someone who, you know, goes to the, goes to the SEC. And then who is another guy who was kind of mentioned in, in every big job opening. And that was coach Muss. Um, and then you see that he's, he coached the SEC as well, so the, the SEC coaching caliber is just very big. And then, of course, the fourth one would be would be Stackhouse at Vanderbilt, and that is the four that, for some reason, I blanked on one of those, and I was um, thinking. But um, yeah, so so just again, the caliber of coaching to see like th- this is another um, off season in a row where Florida keeps, or sorry, not Florida, the SEC keeps getting the best, uh, just kind of the best available coaches on the market, and that just speaks to the quality of the league. Yeah, I mean it really does. And, and again, I, I I'm with Eric on on the Vanderbilt change. I thought being I, I thought not only surprising but somewhat unfair. Um, and and that's what sometimes that happens when you have. There's always a risk when the athletic director who who hires you is gone, um, and that was the situation at Vanderbilt. And a new athletic director who knew basketball was from the G League, obviously saw something that concerned him and, and went in a different direction. And if you had said 12 months ago when Bryce Drew had a top five recruiting class coming in that he was going to be fired in a year and wouldn't win a single game in the SEC, we all would have said one of two things. We would have said either Darius Garland got hurt and the wheels came off or we would have just laughed. <laughs> yeah. um, and it ends up being the first one. And I just think it's it's crazy that it's gotten so competitive in the Southeastern Conference that you could have sort of a crippling injury and it ends up getting you fired, um, which is basically what happened in my opinion at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I would say that's the case. And I mean, do you think that he, he should have been able to at least win one or two games? I, I, I mean, maybe, but I, and I actually thought that they played pretty good basketball just for what they had. Uh, I, I mean, another kind of dagger was, was that I thought that Simi Chateau was not as good as he maybe would have been expected to be. So uh, between the injury to Garland and then, and then Chateau just not, uh, not being the, the, a super dominant. I mean, that kind of left them in the position they were at. So, yeah. Uh, and then, but I mean, to, to make a hire as well, like, like Stackhouse, I mean, um, that really shows that they were looking to go in a different direction regardless. Like, yeah, I, I just really, if you're going to hire someone just like that out of the kind of out of the box, I say, not that it's like super out of the box, I suppose, but I, I just feel as though uh, that is an athletic director who's probably was looking to make a stamp on, on the program. 
And uh, this was the opportunity to do it because there's, uh, you know, I guess there's no easier time to fire a coach than um, a season where they win zero games in the league. But it certainly was out of the box. I think it's totally fair to say that. And, you know, it's a G League athletic director who hires a guy with a lot of uh, ties to the G League from from not just Memphis, but from what he's done since the end of his playing career. And now they've brought in, I think, multiple female assistants also, which is, you know, a little uh, certainly a little different in the SEC or even nationally, but certainly in the SEC. Uh, So I think that that's kind of interesting. And, you know, the other place where I thought, the the decision to change coaches was a little strange um to be quite honest was at alabama uh not because i think avery johnson is a great basketball coach i don't but just because it it just seemed awful quick yeah i i think so too and i i kind of look at this uh you know obviously in college basketball you can't uh you can't make trades at the deadline. You can't make trades in the off season for players. So um, if you're looking to kind of shake things up, you can't really do it other than um, other than the coaching staff. And I mean, you see in the, you, like, for example, I mean, you see in the NBA all the time, teams are not looking for a wing, but when they see one available, that's better that they can get a good trade for, they do it. And I honestly wonder if they kind of saw that they had maybe knew that they could get oats and they liked him and said like, Hey, it's not that we like desperately hate Avery Johnson, but uh, but we have a chance that we think we can get better here, and uh, and they did it. So um, I thought that one was was uh, was a little bit different, and you can elaborate that on that one a little bit more. But I, I mean, even while we're talking about it, uh, to see the way that the players of Arkansas responded to that coaching change, um, I thought that was really interesting as well. And I mean, you can talk about uh, maybe him underachieving, but to see so I, like I don't think I've ever seen a coach get fired and have so many players speak out about um, the fact that they didn't agree with the. Uh, uh, with the decision with the, then with the Arkansas one. So uh, that one kind of surprised me. T- it surprised me too, given the fact that it seemed like the players were surprised, I suppose, maybe not on paper. And you see um, to see what they did, how they've been the last few seasons, maybe it wasn't shocking, but to see uh, the players certainly seemed shocked. And therefore um, that one maybe surprised me a little bit too, I guess. So uh, yeah, I guess, I guess they all kind of surprised me. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised about Texas A&M. I mm-hmm. just feel like he had some really elite teams talent wise that, um, you know, I think they made the sweet 16, which is a really, uh, you know, and I don't, I think it's important that you and I frame to our listeners that that's hard <laughs> and that that's like a good accomplishment to get to the second weekend with any basketball team. Um, but that team was better than that, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. The way they recruited um, through that time. And, and again, just uh, maybe kind of some weird roster compositions too, where they were rolling out like, DJ Hogg at the two just because uh, they were just so loaded with big men and uh and Sabian flag at the four yeah so they they just the last few seasons they've always seemed to just have some pretty weird uh kind of lineups and um it's so weird that the fact that they did have a lot of talent just didn't kind of shine through which sometimes it does so uh yeah the, and and of course um some of the health problems there as well just made that one that, that actually wasn't a surprising one as well and uh but- you know they probably had an inkling too that they could get Buzz Williams and yeah you make that change yeah, I mean, and, and that's the other thing. They knew, they knew that they had money, uh, and that they could get Buzz, and that he was an all, alum of the school, and and that's the guy they wanted to get, and they went and got him. Um, Alabama, you know, I, I think by all accounts they settled on their second choice uh, in Nate Oates. And, you know, and you never settle on your second choice is the joke in journalism, right? Like, uh no one ever hires their second choice you know like dan mullen wasn't florida's second or third choice i promise he was 
he was the guy all along. It wasn't Chip Kelly or Scott Frost. Um, and so I think that when Steve Prom said no at Iowa State, like they very quickly, to their credit, moved on to Nate Oates, and they got him before everybody else did. And they negotiated the Johnson. Like it was handled really well, which suggests that they probably kind of were evaluating it. You know, like if we get to the tournament, we're going to have to keep Avery. But if he doesn't, we're going to make a change, and here's who we're going to call. Yeah, I mean, I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing because when you're talking about never hiring your second choice, I'm, I'm laughing about how Rick Barnes, how he said that uh, you know they wouldn't, they couldn't work out uh, a bio or whatever to get him to UCLA, but pretty much said he was ready to go to UCLA, but it couldn't be figured out. And I just and he was, was Tennessee's second choice because Tennessee's first <laughs> choice was Mike White. Yeah, so that's uh, that's just that's just funny. I just thought Rick Barnes going out there and saying that was like, you know, not be you're happy right. in their department. But um, so Neil, if I were to uh, uh, ask you to power rank your opinion of of the hires um, in order of which you think is the maybe the best coach or the best hire, what what order would you put these four in? Okay, so I go Buzz Williams one, Nate Oates two, Stackhouse three, Eric Musselman four. Okay, I was ready for that because <laughs> you so, knew I was going to do this. <laughs> I, I I thought you might, but I mean, I'll just elaborate too. And I mean, this is not revisionist history. I, I mean, you could go back and listen to the podcast that me and Neil did, or please do um, the art the article I did, um, scouting Nevada before the matchup. Um, I I could not have been less impressed by a way a team <laughs> played basketball this year than than seeing Nevada. And I, I mean that 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 is that's probably some strong wording, but. Um, like, like, they just didn't run anything. I thought they were pretty sloppy. Um, I actually thought when they went to their full-court pressure against Florida, that was really well-coached, and I thought that was, like, something that was really effective. But, um, but yeah, when I, went to, when I went deep into the film and the numbers to kind of get my, uh, my scout prepared for, for when Florida was playing Nevada, I just was not impressed whatsoever with, with, what, uh, uh, with what Nevada did. I did, wasn't impressed with, with what they run. Um, and I, this is going to sound ruder than it – means to be but i do feel like muscleman is a little bit of a salesman like because he he has a lot of the buzzwords where he's like oh yeah like we're gonna play defense first and whatever and i mean you look at his teams (laughs) and he's always been like you know nearly triple digits in ken palm for defense they're a little bit better Um, and 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 before i did this podcast uh, this morning um you know i was listening to uh, a podcast muscleman was on and he was talking about how he uh he doesn't want to play zones because it doesn't prepare guys well for the nba and one, how many NBA players has he really gotten in? He's going to have, you know, maybe some second round picks this year with the, with, with the Martins or, or Caroline. But um, it's not like it's some factory and he's saying he's going to prepare guys for the NBA. And I think he's lost games by doing that because, I mean, his defense has not been good. And he says he's completely never going to play zone, um, which could certainly help. Um, the other thing, too, is he always preaches ball movement. That was one thing that a bunch of people tagged me in because when I did my um, my scout of Nevada, I pointed out that they don't move the ball whatsoever and you can just lock them on one side of the floor. A lot of people kind of tagged me and they're like, oh, no, Eric, you're wrong. He always talks about ball movement. Here's interview, interview, interview where he talks about ball movement. Um, someone else pointed out, oh, here's here's an article where he says you need to pass the ball 200 times a game. And uh, I, I mean, we all watch Nevada play. They, they, they don't move the ball, but but he's got the buzzwords. Um, so, I, I mean, I really do seem to kind of I, I, I don't I don't hate muscleman. Um, he seems like a great guy, but uh, I mean, his, his actions don't back up the words and I just could not be less impressed with what a guy ran last season. So um, I'm just not really scared of him from a basketball standpoint. And if I'm Mike White or any of the assistants um, that are going to be on the scout for when they play Arkansas, uh, I think that's going to be an easier one relative to a lot of the other great coaches we've got in the league. 
Yeah, uh, the guy that, you know, I, I think that's right. And and I put Oates second, and I'll asterisk this just by saying, like, I think this could be – this could end up being the best hire, but also could end up being, like, the third best hire and, like, close to a Muslim-type hire. Like, if he can't recruit at this level, which we don't know, because at Buffalo, the way you assemble a team at Buffalo is very different, right? And then just statistically – his teams at Buffalo, at least the last couple of years, like they weren't the greatest defensive teams, which is going to be different than the way we've seen Alabama play under Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson. But I think part of the allure of the hire was, you know, Buffalo plays a really fun way and they can score points. And that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Eric and I both watched uh, Buffalo and NATO's team play West Virginia when they were healthy early in the season last year. It was like one of the most fun games of the year, in my opinion. And, yeah, it really was. And Buffalo, you know, really attacked the the 1-3, all the different defenses that Bob Huggins threw at them. They, like, had answers for everything. Um, so I think he, I think he's a guy that understands offensive basketball. It's just a matter of, like, how does that recruit and can they defend uh, at the level you need to when you play in the power six. Right, and and he was a guy that uh, that got some really good JUCO players that worked out. Um, actually, one thing that's kind of interesting is you know Andre Allen, a player that people who read my stuff or listen to the podcast know that I really liked and thought Florida maybe should have taken. Um, so he, I mean he he signed uh, he signed Andre Allen to Buffalo like before this past season, so before he kind of blew up and and had tons of other kind of Power Five offers. Um, so he saw him before and kind of recognized him as a talent before uh, before anyone else did. So I thought that showed some kind of uh, uh, that showed some kind of recognition of talent. And, and I mean, he also had a four star that he recruited to the to Buffalo last year. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And um, I think that, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see what he does. Um, he's kind of another interesting, like, I mean, not to compare him to, to Chris Beard or whatever, but, uh, but I mean, I, I, he's only like six years out from being a high school coach. Like he's kind of had one of the quick, quick kind of rises to uh yeah to being, really yeah so so that for that reason as well i think it's a little bit of like yeah this could turn out to be awesome um or maybe doesn't work out just because his sample size isn't very large at the division one level but um but but generally speaking i would say a, a pretty good hire though i know not um not incredibly sexy i guess for uh um for that kind of program i still think it was i still think it was a pretty good hire yeah well i mean it's, i think that they had gone sexy um a couple times too I mean, they had hired like the big name guy who was Billy Donovan's protege and Anthony Grant. Mm. They had hired the NBA guy, Avery Johnson. So like I thought it was interesting to kind of it was a little outside the box for what Alabama does to go and get, you know, a hot young commodity that that was a little bit of a gamble. I mean, he's never he's not never, he's had one defense ever in the top one hundred as a head coach. All his defenses in Kim Palm have been below one hundred. Some of that is adjusted for opponent, but some of that is just they don't defend that well. Um, so I think that they've got to work about work on that. But if he can assemble a super athletic roster like that at, at Alabama, which shouldn't be that difficult, uh, you know, they play a fun way. And I think recruits will respond to that. Yeah, I think so, too. And that, and that I think you kind of mentioned it a little bit before just to say, like, hey, will they be able to play this fast and and loose at the in the SEC? Um, I'm not totally sure, but uh, but I mean, we will I guess we'll find out just this, especially um, for a team to do that, that's presumably not going to be the most talented team in the sec or probably not in the first tier of talent. Um, can he still use, 
uh, uh, guys that aren't, you know, high four-star, five-star guys, uh, but still be able to open up an offense enough that works and be able to play games where they win 90 to 87. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, he also inherits, of the, of the four, I think he gets the best roster. I mean, some of it depends on Tevin Mack, I guess. But, um, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But I think if you look at what, with Flag leaving A&M, uh, and Gilder transferring out, you know, I mean, Buzz is going to do a nice job. And, and I, I think, uh, well, I do think Buzz Williams, and I'm interested on Eric's comments on Buzz because we're kind of just taking him for granted here. Uh, he's at his alma mater, obviously, the perfect fit. I don't think he's quite as good a head coach as kind of reputed, at least historically based on results, right? Like, I feel like certainly he, he has some really good teams. This Virginia Tech team was really good. He had one tremendous team at Marquette that lost to Florida actually. Uh so he's he's got those sweet sixteens. You know, they they haven't those are good programs though that he's been at and kind of haven't I don't think he's maxed anyone out. Yeah, that that's a good way to put it. And I mean they it's one of those teams that I kind of realized this year. Um there's some teams like Virginia Tech where you just look at them and you and it just and I just realized I'm like man every single year Virginia Tech has been like Oh, they're, you know, they're really fun and, and talented, but they're not deep. They've got um, this weird roster problem or they only go six deep or um, they've got to play five guards and they don't like you just see and they, they always seem to have just like some weird um, roster makeup. And, and I realized I'm like, man, after, you know, three or four years of that, that that seems to be maybe a little bit of a of a, of a problem with the coaching. And um, but yeah, I, I do like him. And I mean, you just look at the raw kind of Ken Palm numbers. Um, his first year, so Virginia Tech's 175th. Then next year, they're 63rd. Then 50th. Then 33rd. And then yep. last year, they were 13th. So yep. I think it is cool to see. You know, they did get better every year. Uh, but like Neil said, just uh, you know, will he, will he be able to take a team kind of um, over the hump? Just kind of. And, and I mean, again, you look at a team like last year. I mean, that's a that's a really talented roster. I know they were um, they were thin, just weirdly, and they did not have another player after Blackshear that was like above six foot six. Um, so they, they're just, yeah, they're kind of a just weird roster, uh, but they also had tons of talent. I know. And, and Justin Robinson was injured lots, but I mean, uh, yeah, that, that was a really good, that was a really good team. And um, obviously they almost beat Duke. So that would have been really interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I'd still say, I, I do think he's probably the, um, I would actually, no, yeah, I would say that he's definitely the coach. I think that is, is the best of the new um, kind of crop to the SEC. Yeah, and, and I, 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 said, I know I just said that Alabama might have the best returning roster. Like, it's definitely Alabama or Arkansas, though, no? Yeah, Arkansas was going to be my, uh, my <laughs> choice, just probably based almost exclusively around Kyra Lewis um, right. and, Isaiah, and Isaiah Joe um, for that reason, I would say. Um, I mean, you look at that, uh, that kind of returning group, and I think that that's kind of, to me, that. And even Mason Jones, actually. Um, so, yeah, actually, you know, as I really think about it, I, I actually do think that, um, um, that I would say Arkansas is, Arkansas is the best. Um, returning group and um, I think to just you know backcourts win and uh, I, I would just say that um, to have kind of Isaiah Joe or sorry I said Kyra Lewis for Alabama that's the reason I was going to say for for Alabama just because they have Kyra Lewis and that's kind of the best player but I look at I look at Isaiah Joe and I look at Mason Jones and I say hey there's a backcourt that's um, um, that could uh, that could win you games and I mean that's kind of like uh, you look at Ole Miss last year and you say um, like I, obviously a lot of people didn't think Ole Miss was going to be very good, but their two best players were in the backcourt and that kind of won them a lot of games. So I, yeah. I think that there's just kind of something to that. Yep. I agree. Uh, so let's transition to recruiting real quick. We'll kind of summarize 
there, there were five really at least five classes in the SEC that were in the top 25. I don't know. Eric did uh, something. I think you did something at GatorCountry.com kind of talking about how, you know, Florida's class closed out. But I know that three top 10 classes in the SEC, Kentucky finishes second. They were first for a day, Eric, and, <laughs> uh, and were knocked off that ledge uh, today. Um, Florida finishes seventh in the final 24-7 composite, and then Georgia and Tom Crean finish ninth. Uh, the other teams in the top 20 were Auburn and Alabama, and Tennessee is in the top 25. Yeah, still really good recruiting for the SEC, and <laughs> I mean, good coaching and and six to twenty-five, good, pretty good in-state talent. Yeah, I mean, all good, good facilities. All that's going to point to it's a really good recruiting. So, um, yeah, and I mean, I think that's. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I, for Georgia to be there is definitely really big. Whenever someone, one of your like kind of lower tier teams in the league from the last few years, when they can get. Uh, when they can get a really good recruiting class, uh, I think that's really special. And and, it, and it's kind of different than like Vanderbilt having two top 15 players. Um, the fact that there's like five solid players for Georgia, I think that's yeah. a good, like kind of well-rounded class, but they've also got the Anthony Edwards, which a lot of people do think consider to be the best player in the class. And um, I mean, Christian Brown is really interesting. He was injured a lot, um, but he's a player that, you know, Florida looked at and, and I think could probably be uh, ranked higher if he was healthy. Um, but yeah, again, I just look at, uh, I look at just kind of a, a fairly well-rounded class with like five top 100 players. And, uh, and I'd say that there's probably less risk for something to go wrong, um, than a Vanderbilt who had a top 10 class, but it hinged on having two kind of top 15 players. And, um, you know, one of them maybe underachieved a little bit and one got injured. So I don't think that can happen to Georgia's class. <laughs> well, like Florida, uh, Kentucky with two of the nation's top 20 players in, uh, Tyrese Maxey and, Kale Whitney. Yeah. So, I mean, just to see, uh, it's really interesting just again, to say like, to see their top talent. And now that, um, yeah, now that Florida's got some five stars, I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> them play each other. I mean, like that's going to be weird to say Florida with two of the top 20 players. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it is interesting to see like, um, you know, you just look at 24 seven, um, uh, sports. I mean, uh, like Kentucky has three, five stars, but I mean, um, Duke, Arizona, Villanova, North Carolina, they have two, two, five stars as well. So Florida is, uh, is kind of right there with them. So, uh, that's really cool. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see though. Cause, um, going back to kind of your, that, and that's, uh, again, it's so tough to look at the recruiting rankings of Kentucky teams and say, are they going to be good or not? Cause probably they, you know, two years ago they had their ridiculous, extra ridiculous recruiting class, but, um, that didn't translate to just being dominant all year. So, so it will be interesting to see with this, um, um, with this group. And I mean, I, I'm also interested in the fact that, you know, kind of like four of them, uh, four of the players at Kentucky are, uh, are kind of small forwards. They're all six, 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 seven. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, and I think they can get some, some really good kind of lineups with that. Um, but we've also seen Cal Perry play some really different weird lineups. Um, how that all works with Nate Sestina, of course, the grad transfer, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. but yeah, just like every year when they're turning over that much roster, um, I'm just really interested to see what happens on day one where we can see what their, uh, what their rotation looks like. So give me a freshman other than Scotty Lewis and well, let's just throw Edwards out too. Um, so who's a freshman that you're like really jacked up to see next season? I, oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, uh, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at a few teams here and see if uh, see if my memory's jogged. Um, 
outside uh, outside of those guys, I mean, I'm, what I look for too a lot of the time too is just like who's going to be able to um, uh, to kind of like fit and play a role right away. And I'm not sure if this is exactly the guy, uh, but Isaac Okoro, he's uh, he's kind of like top 50-ish player that's off to Auburn and yeah. he's like six foot six and I just kind of one of those wings and I just see that the fact that um, that Auburn has had so much uh, success with those kind of putting out those lineups um, I, I think that that he's kind of someone I'm really excited to see um, and also I mean uh, uh, Tyrell Jones or Turbo Jones just because he was a guy that um, that Florida was looking at um, I was really you know watching his film I, I really really liked him so uh, that's one that I thought was uh, uh, and someone I was kind of hoping was going to come to Florida um, just because he was uh, dude, just kind of one of these quick, powerful guards, um, pretty stockily built, but just really fast the open floor. And he was someone I just like enjoyed watching. So I'll, I'll say actually Turbo Jones, he's going to be my, uh, uh, the player I'm most looking forward to of the like not five-star kind of variety in the league. Okay. I like that answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to do one of those too. And I'll, I'll say my, the one I'm most looking forward to other, other than Edwards or Lewis is Josiah James at Tennessee. I also mm. think, like, just because Jordan Bone crushed it so much at the combine, like, Josiah James kind of has to come in and produce. Or <laughs> they're a team that could kind of take a pretty big step back. Yeah, I don't think Bone's coming back after his, after his combine <laughs> performance, so, uh, which was actually just, like, very shocking. And can I go to Monty Camera, uh, a four-star that rounds out Georgia's class, mm. um, who's a kid I coached against, uh, comes from down here, Hollywood, Florida. Shamanade Madonna High, uh, just I just love him. I think that just a re- he's like a three. He's the guy that Eric referenced on the last podcast. That's like plays three years, and at the end of the junior year, like every fan is like, man, if he comes back, we're so good. Uh, he's gonna be that, he, you know. And it seems weird to say that about somebody that that just sneaks into the top 100 players, but he's a six six wing who. Um, you know, is a little bit more of the Cade Cunningham compact type, uh, but can really get in the paint and just bother people. And I think, um, you know, for, for Tom Crean, we, I mean, we saw like the Gators lost to Georgia in the second game because Georgia just kind of bulldozed their way to the lane. Like Tom Crean standing in the coach's box saying, drive, drive, they can't guard it. Um, and I, I was on the floor of that game more or less where my seats were. So I heard him saying these things. Tumani Cantor is going to be a guy that Florida gets to hear that a lot against in the next couple of years, which is probably why Mike White's upgrading his athleticism. Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think that's something that is that kind of struck. Um, and, and again, you look up and down these, up and down these lineups of, of players that are being recruited here in the SEC, and it's, it's a lot of athleticism. It's getting back to a little bit of that, um, that SEC kind of mindset of, of toughness and muscle and athleticism. And, um, the other thing too about Josiah James is uh, uh, just kind of to see what position or Simon what they do in Tennessee because I also feel like Grant Williams is is going to be gone for sure. I don't know what your thought is, but um, one thing I also, I thought too that was like crazy about Grant Williams at the combine is like almost always always um, at the combine players end up measuring like smaller than they're listed at in college, which is just because you know people kind of inflate what they're listed at. Um, Grant <laughs> Williams measured at six foot nine and a quarter, like. That was much like, I mean, he was listed at, you know, like six, seven here in college. So he measured way bigger than expected. And um, he also shot the ball really well in, in all the, um, all the shooting metrics and stuff. But yeah. I just was so surprised where it seems like every player that's six, eight ends up being six foot, six and a half or um, the seven footers end up being six, 10. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Grant Williams, who's kind of listed at six foot seven, he measured at six, nine and a quarter. So 
Uh, I thought that was uh, obviously really good for him in a, in a world where everyone ends up measuring kind of smaller. Um, the fact that he's six foot nine, I mean, I, there's <laughs> going to be teams that say like, Oh great. We can play him at center. So like, yeah, I, I think that that kind of sealed it that, uh, that he won't be coming back for them. Yeah. And I, I know Eric's been on a lot. We're recording Friday afternoon. Eric's been on a lot of uh, various programs today. So yeah, Grant Williams drops the, the video this afternoon that he will oh. not return. So um, yeah, so Grant's gone. Jordan Bone says he's going to announce in the next 24 hours. AJ Lawson, uh, a guy that I know uh, Eric was high on when I think maybe you were either high or not high on him. It was one or the other. You had a take, <laughs> you had a take on AJ Lawson. Uh, he's set to announce tomorrow, and that's a good transition to just sort of the, the key departures. So some of the players that are gone, okay, all of LSU, <laughs> except for yeah. actually. Uh, so that's Tremont Waters, not Reed, Skyler Mays, Marlon Taylor, Emmett Williams, and strong ass offer himself, Javante Smart. Mm. Um, all gone. Tyler Hero, PJ Washington, uh, gone. Uh, let's see. EJ Montgomery, gone. Keldon Johnson, gone. Darius Garland, Simi Chatu, gone. Jared Harper, gone. Chumo Keke, gone. Grant Williams, gone. This is crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's and that's before we get to the guys that have asterisk by their name. Nick Richards, uh, Jordan Bonestill, Andrew Nimhard, Nick Claxton, who was really, really good this week. Um, and I'm sure probably Tom Crean's sweating a little bit because that changes things a bit for his program if uh, Nick stays in. Reggie Perry, who I thought bizarrely uh, put his name in. Um, Lamar Peters is gone. I forgot him. Savion Flag gone. So Tevin Mack is a guy that could come back as well as Devontae Schuler and Brian Tyree. Uh, Jonte Porter at Missouri has gone. I mean, what are some of the, the biggest losses for you? Well, I mean, beyond I, I LSU not... losing their whole team. Yeah, losing that can be devastating, no question. Especially when you can't recruit either, uh, given the circumstances. That's oh. losing your squad and not be able to recruit. That's uh, you know, in my in my short time covering college basketball, that has proven to be difficult. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's a, you look at any of the teams that um, uh, that obviously are not going to traditionally recruit at the, all the five stars or the kind of one and done talent. I think those are the guys that really hurt you when they leave early. So, um, I, I mean, it feels. If obviously Georgia's got a really good recruiting class, but I think Nick Claxton, um, you know, that departure hurt them for sure. Um, also, AJ Lawson, I actually, my take was that I actually didn't like him as much as uh, he was okay. someone in so high I school. Knew it was one or the other. Yeah, well, someone in high school I really liked. And, and I mean, um, I, you know, he's Canadian, so I think people assume that I'm going to just gonna stand for all the Canadian players. And um, partially true for some. Um, AJ Lawson, certainly not the case. Um, I shouldn't say certainly. He just, I just don't think he's ready right now for sure. I think he's got a lot of holes, but um, yeah, those, those departures hurt um, for sure. Any of those, any of those teams, I mean, the Ole Miss ones are going to be really interesting. Um, uh, Bree and Tyree, especially, I mean, if they were to lose him, that would be, uh, that'd be tough. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I would say also, I mean, I know. Shuler I too, really. Great. Yeah. Shuler too. Like those, uh, yeah, they could be a, they could be in trouble if those guys go. And uh, I think too, again, like Vanderbilt with Chatu, I mean, um, that's another one that definitely hurts. I mean, I, th- I know he was a guy that you would have like penciled in as a, um, 
as a guy who was going to be a one and done before the season. Um, but he didn't give you that like one season of like, like, you know, if he, he, you would have thought he would be a one and done, but you would think he would give you one really good season. And unfortunately they didn't get the really good season, but he's still gone. So for that reason, I think it hurts a little bit, but I mean, yeah, at the same time, I, I think before the season they knew, um, but uh, you, you know, I'm also going to have to ask too. I, I mean, we haven't even really, we, we haven't talked about Andrew Nemhart since um, about what we think he's going to do. Do you have any, uh, any takes that have changed since, uh, since the G League combine? Yeah, I mean, just not getting the bump to the NBA Combine kind of convinces me that he'll be back, especially because, like, some people read he was pretty good at the G League Combine, which he was, from what I understand, and from what I've seen you kind of hint at on, on some of the message boards. But but uh, I think that's good. I think that's, like, in, an encouraging reason that he would come back. Like, he's got to know, hey, I'm pretty close, and, you know, there's some things I can work on, and and now I know what they are, and give me another year. Like, I think his decision is a little bit easier than Nick Claxton's where like, I'm looking at Jonathan Gavoni who has Nick Claxton going number 35 overall today. But, you know, Sam Vecini has Nick Claxton after the combine going 23rd. So that's hard because then you're talking about first round money or really interesting, like early second round flyer because of his skill set. Yeah, okay. I've got one take. Um, so I was streaming the camp, uh, the G League. So I watched pretty much all of it, and I was really kind of confused by a lot of the players that got chosen to go to the to the main combine from the G League combine. I did not think it was the best eleven players. What it ended up being, um, I, I don't think that Andrew Nemhart should have been one of those players. But but I kind of realized. I mean, the, the system is that. Um, there's the 30 teams that are there scouting that representation and those 30 scouts, they vote on who they want to go from the G League combine to the NBA combine and to see who they want to see more. And I mean, if I'm a GM or, or a scout and I think I've got a beat on a guy that the other teams don't, there's no way I'm actually going to use my vote to say, Hey, they should go to the NBA combine where, where every other team can see him more and get an opinion. Yeah. So yeah. I honestly do think that teams sandbag their picks and because I mean, if you if you had a, a a good beat on Jerron Cumberland, who didn't get a who I thought should have kept going, but uh, but he didn't get an invite. If you think you like him and you've seen enough and and you're confident, you're certainly not using your vote on him so that he can go to the NBA Combine and more teams have more access to him. So the fact that Henry Nevar didn't get invited, um, like let's let's say let's say a team, let's say the Utah Jazz really like Andrew Nembhard. Um He's a guy that's not super popular to be drafted. And therefore, if you really like him, you do not want other teams seeing more of him and you do not want him going to the NBA Combine. So you are not going to use your vote to try to get him to the Combine where you can see him more. Um, you can invite him to an individual workout where only you can see him. So I, I'm not like, there's there, the conspiracy theorist in me, I, I suppose, um, um, just says that like, it's not necessarily like the fact that he didn't get invited doesn't necessarily mean the teams are not interested just because I, I truly think for some of these like, off the radar guys. And I would say Andrew Nemhart's off the radar just because he's not, you know, wasn't a one and done guy that people expected. Um, yeah. I don't think teams would have voted for him to keep moving. So, uh, and I, and just some of the decisions um, that the, of the players that did go, it just was like the exact, like what I would have expected a team to do if they were trying to like throw away a pick, like uh, for Cody Martin or, or the, the Martin to move on. I was like, like they were not great. And teams have seen them a ton. I don't, I feel like there's a couple of players like that. The teams just kind of were like, yeah, I'll use my vote for that and not use my vote on a guy that I think I've got a beat on that. I don't want other teams seeing. 
Yeah, that's pretty interesting, uh, you know, and, and I, I don't think it changed. Like I said, I agree with you. I don't think it changes things for Nimhard, but that is kind of an interesting story as to process, isn't it? Well, and, and I do just think generally speaking, and, and part of it has been, um, so I'm, I'm writing NBA draft for NBA Canada this year, and I've you know been more interested in, in what's going on and um, looking at past drafts and the process around it. Uh, what it really looks like is, like there's usually one or two guys that pop from the combine and really help their stock. Um, but almost exclusively the guys that improve their stock between college and the draft is an individual workouts. That's, that's all the stories are, are, are guys that went and, and killed in individual workouts. And that's what got them drafted higher. It's not really what they do in the combine. So that's something I always think of too, where people are like, Oh, and Jim didn't get invited to the NBA combine. So there's no chance he's going to get drafted or, Oh, he didn't get, you know, he didn't go from the G league combine. There's no way he gets drafted. Uh, you know, it, it certainly doesn't help for sure. Um, but when you look at guys that there's like, there's a lot of guys that didn't go to the NBA combine and still got drafted. And some of them still got drafted quite high. And it's because of what they did in individual workouts, which I think teams value a lot more than um, the shuttle run time and things like that from the combine. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, and, and look, the one thing, so, so, I mean, we, we've kind of beat on some of these guys to death, but I think the biggest, more, most like close decisions are probably EJ Montgomery uh and nick claxton i don't think nimhards is that close but i guess there's no real way of knowing that for sure and aj lawson i'm told um or or i've read certainly that that's close in, in multiple places that he's not uh you know totally against the idea of just going to europe and maybe he doesn't want to spend an- another year getting yelled at by frank martin yeah yeah there's certainly a chance so uh that, that's what i'm i am interested to see i'm not sure what he yeah, if he feels like he's going to get better playing another year at South Carolina, uh, maybe he thinks that'll get him better. But yeah, one kind of playing a year of pro ball and, and getting prepared or, or trying out the G League, I, I do think he'd have opportunities there. Um, I don't think a team would would draft him for sure or even give him a a, a, a guaranteed or semi-guaranteed contract. Um, but I think in a year or two he could. So yeah, that'll be the probably the, the last remaining one I'm most interested in just because, you know, with the Kentucky big men um, that are – probably not going to play much if they do come back i mean i'm not as not as into that um versus you know aj lawson if he comes if he comes back we'll play a major role for south carolina yeah i mean with ej it might just be what he's hearing about deals quite honestly mm-hmm. like if i were advising him i'd say if somebody's giving you a two-year deal in the second round like if we know that going in that they're either going to say we're not drafting you but we're willing to offer you a multi-year deal i'd leave because because why well, I guarantee you that's it because he's not going to be a first-round draft pick. So for him, it's just what's he hearing on the deal front. With Nick Claxton, you know, there's an argument that he can play his way higher, but if he thinks he's a late first-round flyer because of his upside, that's another one he's really got to think about going. That said, he could have a huge year playing with the class they have coming in, which is another factor for him to consider just like it is for Andrew Nimhart. So it's kind of an interesting little dynamic there, but – you know, if you can get drafted late first round at a at a place where they're good already and they have time to develop you, that's the kind of thing that you have to think about with your Nick Claxton. Yeah, I'm curious if he'll take like because uh, like right now he's kind of this weird, bouncy, long, interesting athlete. Uh, the more he plays in college, I think he's <laughs> exactly like, for those kind of guys. I think that the mystery of of you know what could this guy be is is a little bit like that could be what gets him you know what gets him drafted high in the second round or something right if he does if come he back shoots to Georgia, like he did against florida yeah exactly so um <laughs> so i do think a guy like that 
could potentially be exposed if he, you know, doesn't add muscle next year, if he doesn't, um, you know, if he stays kind of a streaky jump shooter, um, I think teams would be more inclined to take a risk on him now versus, you know, next after next year when he's, you know, a year older and you have another year of sample size. So uh, that will be an interesting one to watch. And, um, but yeah, to see, especially the way he played against Florida. I mean, if he comes back, that's a, that's a major piece. That's a, that's one of the more important players in the sec. So we are going to close with a, with some Gator notes first, a scheduling note. Um, and this is not 2019 schedule. It's 2020 schedule. I know you guys are all super excited for Florida basketball 2020, but uh, the, the Gators are, are set to play in the Emerald coast classic. Um, they've announced they'll participate in that. It's going to be, that's cool. Cause it's, it's like the Orlando tournament and that people in Florida will have a chance to see them play, but against, non-traditional opponents at a neutral site and the rest of that field right now is Iowa State, Oregon and Illinois. Yeah, that's uh I mean a couple of years off lots can change but uh but yeah, pretty interesting field and um it's uh, it's always interesting to even see like it's just funny because I mean um obviously you talk about 2020 and it's like oh yeah, that feels a little bit in the future for basketball recruiting especially for something that's not like a um, a home and home that starts this upcoming season. But uh, I mean, I'm still waiting for, I, I really want Florida basketball to just do something like football and, and schedule a home and home for, for 2030 or something. I think that'd be <laughs> tons of fun. I, I want some team to do that. So uh, but yeah. Yeah, relative to the, uh, yeah, to this uh, Emerald. Yeah. And I think Illinois is probably going to be the most interesting team. I think they're kind of going to be turning things around. Um, so that's a team that uh, you wouldn't think about too much if they were playing this year. Um, but yeah, 2020, I think that could be interesting. Yeah, and it's cool because C.J. Walker with Oregon, and, you know, that's not necessarily a one-and-done deal, although you might think it is. And and then uh, Iowa State is is kind of like 1A or 1B, depending on where Florida is, on Dudley Blackwell. So oh, could yeah. get in a situation where you're like two guys pretty heavily recruited by the Gators end up on opposing benches at that tournament. Um, so that's always fun. Uh, and we'll close with – with two notes, uh, you want to talk Jalen Wilson first? Yeah, I mean, so uh, a player who was committed to Michigan and uh, got his release uh, after Beeline got uh, or left, I should yeah, after he left. So uh, one thing that was just really interesting was Florida wasn't kind of in his final schools when he committed to Michigan. But, uh, but yeah, he went out pretty quickly and said his top four schools right now, and Florida was one of them. Um, so, I mean, that's really interesting because it's not like he just named the schools that were most recruiting him <laughs> back when he made his decision. It's, it's a little bit more current. And uh, I, I really liked it. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know anything about him prior to, uh, prior to when he said Florida's name. So um, I was playing catch up, but I mean, like watching him play, um, watching what I could find. I mean, he's, he's big, like he's six, eight and, and still pretty like most wings that are, you know, coming out of high school are still pretty wiry. He's a lot more developed. Um, he's got a really nice jump shot, really nice for the mid range, really good from three. Um, he also showed some pretty good footwork inside and got some nice interior buckets and, um, for Florida to be, you know, potentially in a, in a race for a player like that with their last scholarship, um, is just really, really good because I think he, like, I mean, he, he would be able to play right away. I think just because, uh, he is pretty developed at six, eight and Florida needs some players to play some backup minutes at the four, some backup minutes at the three and, um, for yeah. a skilled big wing. Um, you know, I think he was 50th or so in the 24 seven composite. I mean, to see a player that big and with that skilled, he didn't have elite athleticism, but I mean, still, I, I like if he, he looked closer to a five-star to me than a four-star six, eight two fifteen muscular, um, shoots the three. Well, good finisher inside. I mean, 
that that checks a lot of boxes. Um, it also just showed me how much athleticism is valued in these rankings because uh, there's not many players as polished at that size. And uh, he's only 50th in the rankings, so I, I think he could be higher. And this is something to watch. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, the uh, the other the other thing to note about it is you've seen the the wave of Michigan signees that have been released just this week. Um, and, you know, Florida fans were in this spot four years ago. Like, they understand what a destructive situation that can be. And it doesn't change their affection for the coach that's left, right? I mean, Michigan fans are always going to love John Beeline. Florida fans are always going to love Billy Donovan. But it really does put a new head coach in a really tough spot because they're so far behind. You know, they lose the chance to close the recruiting cycle. They have to rally to get commitments. I mean, imagine Florida in a world where, you know, Keystone and Kayvon Allen and Kabaris Hayes don't end up coming. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, that's that's pretty wild, right? I, I guess Keystone was uh, a red shirt, but you get the point that no, no, I'm right. Uh, those are four zero guys. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that could happen. And and the new coach, I'm sure, will want to try to re-recruit Jalen Wilson, but it could be like Noah Dickerson. Where like there's just not anything that can be done, and it sounded that way from from what the little we've heard Jalen say to the media. Yeah, and he's from Texas, so the, it's not like <laughs> uh, it's not like a geographic tie to Michigan. Um, I, I feel like it was probably because you know Michigan plays beautiful basketball, and he thought he'd fit well in that system. And uh, right, and it also they were going to lose some wings this year, so it really stood to stand that or to say that he would uh, be able to slide into a good role. So um, I do think it was a lot of basketball fit. He's also. Um, a lot of a lot of what I read pointed to him, um, just like made an emphasis of the fact that he's a very very good student, which you know says a lot about him and his character. And um, also, there might have been some draw like that to Michigan, and maybe you can find something like that for Florida as well. So, um, yeah, definitely one to watch because I mean, Florida's recruiting class is really good right now, but it uh, it still can get a little bit uh, a little bit crazier. And it's just funny given the fact that you know Florida had a good class, um, and then they uh, you know they tag. Uh, Jatobo in at the end and then you thought it was kind of done and then oh they take Lover there after that and uh, yeah it's just uh, if they added someone in, in late May or June or something that would uh, <laughs> that would make for one of the crazier summers I would say in a while yeah and I did the the, uh, the fun little add a guy math on the 24-7 composite and if Wilson came to Florida it would give Florida the number four recruiting class so. yeah <laughs> I mean I mean I would say like uh, again, I, I know it gets it's getting watered watered down a little bit. I put that with air quotes because of uh, because Glover, um, who I think is underrated. Um, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I, which is fun, and it's funny to say about like a fiftieth ranked guy. And, and I shouldn't perhaps saying uh, that Wilson is underrated is a bit foolish because I really am not an expert on all these top fifty guys. But you just look at the boxes he checks, and uh, yeah, I think Wilson just be an outstanding player wherever he goes. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested and, uh, and excited. Could be could be a Mike White bump there from from John Beeline. One of the reasons you come in out of the blue, you remember before the Gators played the Wolverines, John Beeline spent a lot of time pouring you know, pretty effusive praise on on White and Florida's staff. And I know that happens a lot with coaches, but uh, some coaches, when they offer praise of you, you take it a little more seriously than others. And John Beeline, kind of one of those guys, at least for me, and I, I think for Eric too. Um, want to transition to the other you know guy that we all know about Terry Blackshear Jr. I'm on the story Eric I'm on the yes. story I can't get anyone from the Blackshear camp to talk to me I'm just letting everybody know that um 
you know, Eric made me feel better about it this week because he said, like, it sounds like you're not alone. <laughs> and <laughs> they're pretty clammed up. Uh, so here's what I've, what I've heard is I, I did talk to multiple people this week. These are people that directly have had contact with Kerry Blackshear Jr. So um, the sense is that, that he will either go pro um, and play in Europe or the G League or he will go to Florida. I asked multiple people about Kentucky. Two of them, um, both involved in recruiting Blackshear, said they would be very surprised if he picked Kentucky over Florida if he came back. One of them said, oh, never count out Calipari, and then kind of laughed. <laughs> uh, so I kind of feel like that's probably a safe positioning is that I, I, you know, I know Jeff Goodman at stadium reported that um, it seems like he's leaning to the NBA people. I talked to didn't really say that they felt that way. Um, and that they're recruiting him. They felt like he really just wanted to go through the whole process and he's taking his time. He's going to go to the next combine. And then I think he'll make his decision. Um, I don't think you count out John Calipari ever, but, um, you know, I do think Florida has a lot of structural advantages that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be at the professional basketball combine, which would be like the third tier after <laughs> the NBA and then the G league combine. Right. Um, Kayvon Allen will be at that one as well. So yeah. Um, Go Kayvon. I, you know, unfortunately I don't know how much Kayvon talks, but uh, <laughs> I, so I'm not sure he's the guy you want in the recruiting, but Hey, if he wants to speak up for Florida, that'd be awesome. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I really do think like, you look at the basketball kind of standpoints of, of kind of the places that it's been reported that, that black one is, is kind of Blackshear's favorites. And I really do just think from a basketball standpoint, Florida would be um, one of the best. Um, I just think, yeah, if he's coming back to college, maybe he just wants the atmosphere of being at Kentucky and having all these young kind of five stars around him. Maybe he wants to do that. Um, you know, he had, to, he had to shoulder a ton of the load and play a lot of minutes at Virginia Tech. Maybe he likes the idea of, you know, being a Reed Travis and playing less minutes and, um, and, you know, not having to exert himself that much physically. And uh, maybe he likes that about Kentucky, who knows, but, but basketball wise, I think it would really work at Florida. And I think a lot of people would, would agree objectively. Um, One one thing too, and I'll I'll point towards this, this is my self self plug of the day. Um, um, I did kind of, you know, we've been talking so much on the podcast and at Gator country on the boards and everything just about, um, what Blackshear's game is like and what it would kind of bring to Florida. I decided I was finally just going to like do an article with all my thoughts and a lot of numbers to back it up. So I'd love for people to read that at Gator Country. It's um, mostly just because I'd probably put way more work into it than I should for a player that's hypothetically only coming to Florida. <laughs> so for that reason, I hope you come read it. But I actually thought it was, um, I say that about my own work, I, but I actually came across some numbers that I actually thought were, were really interesting and surprising. And um, yeah, I thought it was probably one of the better things that I've that I've written as of late. So I'd love for people to read that. And, and if you have, you know, if you have any questions about the way that that Blackshear plays, even after all the way that me and Neil's kind of talked about him, um, I think that's uh, yeah, I think that that'll kind of uh, uh, clear anything up there. We re- yeah, we retweeted it at the Florida basketball hour site. It's really fantastic. Make sure you go and check it out and keep doing whatever it is you do. Seance, prayer, rain dance uh, until May 29th. Um, and then, and then we'll know. Uh, a couple of other things to keep kind of an eye on on the 2020 front was uh, just that Jalen Springer kind of indicating that he wants to decide early, that he'll be one of the earlier commitments. Um, and he's obviously listed Florida as a finalist. And then Cade Cunningham uh, saying the same thing today, that he 
uh, would like to try to figure out what he's going to do earlier and then saying, you know, I'll drop the Tipton edit <laughs> this week uh, with his final group. So uh, we bring up Springer because we didn't talk about him on the big recruiting show. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, big time, big time player. Um, and I think Florida eventually will get somebody from IMG Academy. They have a good relationship with that staff. Uh, so, you know, it's going to happen. It's just kind of a matter of which guy. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm going to assume that you have a, a player you think is more likely than the other, but uh, you, want to, you want to say that to people and see if I'm right? Yeah, I think Kate Cunningham's much more likely yeah. to go to Florida. <laughs> uh, I, I just really think Springer is, is, is headed to Chapel Hill um, to play for, for Roy Williams. He just is like the prototypical Roy Williams player, and they offered him a scholarship in eighth grade. <laughs> you know if a blue blood's like here's a scholarship and you're like you know in your civics class or whatever they take in eighth grade that's yeah, a pretty big deal so uh but but kid cunningham you know florida has done well at montverde always um but white kid cunningham is one of those guys that mike white has a relationship with yeah that would be the one i definitely would think is uh more likely to go to florida partially because of conversations you and me have had <laughs> that you've got to pointed me in that direction but uh, yeah it's just uh, it's just so interesting you know I'm uh, still just so hyped up on this 2019 recruiting class that almost is potentially yeah. not even finished um, but it's like man they're in on some some really really good names for 2020 and I mean um, like there could be two like I'm not ready to say that they're gonna just land a class that's identical to this 2019 class and and be um, be seventh or whatever you you mentioned they were this year um, but, but it, it could be close and uh, you know you string a couple classes together that are you know, top 10 ish, top 15, maybe for this one. And uh, yeah, man, Florida can just really be cooking. So um, yeah, just exciting times in Florida basketball. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Thanks for uh, joining us. We hope everybody enjoyed this trip around the sec. We will be back um, with another show, although potentially not until after the May 29th deadline, um, unless something crazy happens with like a Nimhart announcement or something we have to do some sort of quick reaction, but we are, you know, we do continue to plan on having on a a show uh, consistently throughout the summer. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to Eric for coming on and, and we'll see everybody.